Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Welcome to NBA Today, presented by ESPN Bet. Draymond Green, he is back with the Warriors and is slated to speak at any moment. So hear what he has to say live for the first time since his December suspension. Plus, Jalen Brown and the Celtics, they may have a real gripe after a loss to the Pacers, but is that masking a bigger issue? Big perk, he has the answer. And something happened in Milwaukee last night, Janae, that I don't think I've ever heard in that building before. Booze and the wow. of the franchise, he knows why. We have to play better, we have to defend better, we have to trust one another better, we have to be coached better. Every single thing, everybody has to be better. Everybody. It starts from the equipment manager. He has to wash our clothes better. I mean, the clothes washing, apparently it needs to step up in Milwaukee as well. Welcome to NBA Today, presented by ESPN. Bet Kendrick Perkins, Brian Windhorst, Chenea Gumake here. I'm Malika Andrews. Giannis was adamant, guys. Everything needed to get better in Milwaukee over the weekend, but somehow things got worse for the Bucks. They got blitzed at home by producer Condes' Utah Jazz. Giannis imploring his team, all right, we need to get up for this one. And then somehow in the first quarter, this is what we're looking at, Shanae. And they got blitzed by threes from deep. Eight different Jazz players hit a three. They made 23s on the night. We've always known that's been their biggest weakness, and they were exploited by a team that, reality, the teams look past. And this is what it sounded like in Pfizer Forum. The Bucks home crowd letting them hear it, getting booed in their own building, but 11 threes in the first quarter, I mean, like, that's... That might be well, that's a wide-open shot right there. <laughs> By the way, shout-out to the Jazz. They go 2-1 and one on a road trip to Boston, Philly, and Milwaukee. How about that? Well, the Bucks they trail by 31 at the half. Their largest home deficit at a halftime in franchise history. So the fourth quarter, I mean, at this point, this They're wide open. Nice. They're wide open. And what have we been harping on? The Milwaukee Bucks defense, Shanae. Yeah, and when these shots are happening in the NBA, you're not doing your job. I mean, one, two passes. The defender, the passer, the shooter, everyone wide open. I see why he's adamant that things aren't good. Jazz gets the win, 132-116. So in the words of uh, Richard Jefferson, you got to stay petty so you don't have to get petty. This is the video that the Jazz posted. Who is that, you may ask? <laughs> that is their trainer that they are showing. Remember what Giannis was saying about everyone up and down needs to get better? Apparently not in Utah. Here's Giannis after the game. You have great fans, but like... Around the league, if you don't play hard, you don't give everything to the team. Uh, there's times that you might you might get booed. You know, I'll boo myself tonight too. I was like, I heard the boo, and I was like, boo. I was like, in my head, I was booing myself. Man, it's tough when you're booing yourself, but maybe this is part of the reason why the Bucks defense that it, it has slipped this season, and it's not something they're used to, right? Milwaukee has given up 110 or more points in 20 straight games. The only team with a longer active streak is the Pistons. This current streak, it is the worst the Bucks have had in their 50 
six season history. So he had an impassioned plea, Giannis did for his team. Give a little bit more effort here. And the Bucks, they came out and gave one of their worst performances of the year, and Milwaukee fans let them hear it. So, Perk, I ask you this. The Bucks fans, yes, they still have a top-five record, <laughs> just so everyone knows, in the NBA. But there are times you watch them, it just doesn't seem like they're a championship contender that we all hoped they would be. So is it time to worry about the Bucks? Hell yeah. And you, you know what's crazy is here we are. Here we are. Just last week on NBA Today, I said that it's deer hunting season and the Bucks are cooked right now because everyone was talking about, oh, they have won eight out of nine or whatever the case may be. They're on the win streak. They're number two in the Eastern Conference. But that doesn't mean that they weren't playing bad basketball. And what's starting to show is, is that that if you go in and all you have to do is compete, meaning beating the Bucks to the 50-50 balls, the scouting report says they're not going to fight to get over screens. They're not going to make the extra effort on the weak side to X out to wide open three-point shooters. And you could drive and get to the paint on them because they have zero perimeter defenders when you look across the board. And I know Damian Lillard didn't play last night, but that makes it even worse. When you have a guy like Malik Beasley who is on a vet minimum and should be trying to prove to the world that he could, he's one of the elite two, that he could be a two-way player and not getting the job done. So when I think about it, they look old, they look slow, and they, they put look on old. paper that that's going to win them games, and that's not the case. They look old. Perk's so angry his feet had to go out for a minute. Everybody <laughs> else looks old. Well, the modern NBA, you have to really have size and physicality on the perimeter to, to defend at a high level. And the Bucks do not have that, as Perk said. And they made a couple of decisions in the offseason. One, they swapped out their head coach from a guy in Mike Budenholzer who was known for developing great defense. Absolutely. For a guy in Adrian Griffin who is still developing his style and clearly has not been able to get the same defensive effort. And when they traded Drew Holiday essentially for Damian Lillard, they traded offense for defense. And, you know, they've had to make some other decisions that have weakened their perimeter size and perimeter depth. So... They come into games knowing that they're going to have to have a great offensive game to win. Yeah. And they're awesome on offense. And many times they do win the games because they have Giannis, who's averaging 10 baskets a night in the paint. They have Lillard, who's a killer at the end of the games. Middleton has been playing better. But when you look at their, their outlook, and we're not talking about them winning regular season games, when you look at the idea that they need to win 16 playoff games, mm -hmm. I just can't take a team that's a bottom 10 defensive team who needs to win 16 playoff games seriously. And that's been... The concern with the Bucks the whole year, and now during this stretch, it is really starting to bite them. Yeah, and also, Wendy, in the modern NBA, you cannot win on talent alone. Mm. You have to win on effort. And what we're seeing is in this recent stretch where they should have been motivated playing against the Pacers twice, they lost. They go to San Antonio, and that was a game for the ages, but they win, but it was way closer than you think. They lose to the Rockets, and now you lose to the Jazz. And that tells me that talent is not doing it for them. It has to be effort. And we, you just saw on the screen like some great, great numbers about defense. Let's dive into the hustle stats. And that's what I did with one of our producers today, Jason Joseph. And I looked, and I was like, the hustle is not showing. Perk alluded to it in the scouting report. Second worst in forced turnovers, the Bucks are. Third worst in loose ball recovers. Third worst in contested threes. That will kill you in the modern NBA. Third worst in contested threes. Fourth worst in charges drawn. 
eighth worst in blow buys, which has been the big issue with their perimeter defense. Their defense last year was fourth best in the NBA. Yep. Now they're 22nd. They have completely lost that identity. But even worse than that, they've lost the effort. And to me, in the modern NBA, if you don't have that effort, mm -hmm. teams like the Spurs will take you down the distance, even though they lost. Yeah. Teams like the Rockets, teams like the Jazz will beat you. And that's a different dynamic that we're seeing. Not to mention, when you, we are talking about a team that is second in the Eastern Conference. I don't want to lose sight of that. But the fact of the matter is, when you are game planning for a seven-game series against a team, it just feels like right now you can figure the Bucks out. And you said that you don't look kindly on being top, bottom 10 in defense. Well, neither does history when you look at champions over the last 23 That's years. Why. Brian, history, they're synonymous. All right, let's shift from a team <laughs> that is looking to turn it around to one that really is running out of ways to do it here. Memphis Grizzlies superstar John Morant, he will undergo season-ending surgery on his right shoulder. That is what the team announced on Monday night. Morant, he had an MRI that revealed an underlying labral tear that will require surgery to repair it. So, Ja, he took to social media. This is what he posted shortly after the news came out. He said, just waiting for the sun to come out. It really is a bummer to, to see this. Our senior NBA insider, Adrian Wojnarowski, is with us now. So, Woj, we know this happened over the weekend during a training session, but we really don't have many more details here. How exactly did this happen? Uh, Malik, I think uh, John Morant, the Grizzlies, I think they were all surprised uh, when he went in for that MRI that it showed uh, the labrum tear, that it would be season-ending surgery, that there wasn't anything that necessarily happened in the workout uh, to make them think a significant injury uh, had been suffered. You know, and that this is the kind of injury that sometimes deteriorates over time, and then there's a moment where there's one action that causes the tear. So this is now a Memphis team, you know, that was fighting, uh, fighting back with Ja Morant back, with Marcus Smart finally back, and the great impact he's made here. Uh, you know, they hoped they'd get Brandon Clark back later in the season. Uh, that They could get out of uh, the lottery into the play-in. And obviously that's probably very unlikely now. I think the one positive is here you have this contending team with still a very young core that will get probably a very good draft pick in this draft, right. either use or use in a trade. Right now, the Grizzlies, they sit at 13th in the Western Conference. Woj, thank you so very much. I do want to take a look. This is what the Grizzlies look like with and without Ja Morant on the floor for the season. 6-3 and three with him, 7-20 and 20 without, which accumulates to 13-23 and 23 on the year. And it just really, as Woj says, it makes it hard to see now a path for them to climb higher in the standings and into that play-in tournament, which was ultimately their goal, their hope. This is this is such a bummer, Zach, for John Morant, who came back, who was playing excellent basketball. Uh, what's next for the Memphis Grizzlies? It, it is a bummer. And that first game back in New Orleans, the buzzer beater, yeah. we're all going to remember that forever. That <laughs> right. was one hell of an NBA moment. And they had a chance to get up into the play, and they were playing well enough. That's over now. The Grizzlies just don't have enough punch on offense to win enough games to get there. Now, the bright side is what comes next is what was just said. The players aren't going to want to hear this. The coaches probably aren't going to want to hear this. But this is a precious, precious, rare opportunity for a good team, mm. a team that was the number two seed last year, to add a lottery pick, to take a gap year, kind of like the Warriors took in that year that netted them James Wiseman. Let's not talk about that. 
Um, the, the difference between those, these Grizzlies and those Warriors too is that this is still a young team. Whoever they draft, and look, they're probably not gonna get the number one, number two, number three pick, the unholy quartet of Charlotte, Detroit, San Antonio, Washington. They're just <laughs> gonna be impossible to catch. But whoever they draft, that guy's not gonna be that much younger than some of the core guys on this team. So I don't expect a big sell-off here. I don't expect any big trades unless they get bowled over for right. a guy like Luke Kennard or somebody like that. I expect them to get this chance, and if they nail it, boy oh boy, considering the amount of money that they owe some of their big players going forward, having a cheap rookie contract, if they nail that pick, this could be a boon for them. It could be a blessing in disguise. Yeah, that 2020 Warriors pick is such an interesting comparison because they did have the second pick. And how rare is it that you see a team that has that much upside, that much potential, get to truly add to their core in that way? This is a chance that now I know it's a glass half full situation to something that's terrible, John Morant being out for the season. But if they do well in that, ooh, it could be interesting to see what the Grizzlies do next year. Zach Lowe, thank you. Please stick around. Still to come on NBA Today, we are waiting to hear live from Draymond Green, who is expected to speak for the first time since he was suspended in December. Do not miss that. Plus, does a controversial call last night in Indiana, does it mask some bigger problems here for the Celtics, Brian? Not really. <laughs> well, you're going to want to hear what Jay LeBron thinks. I don't know if he agrees with you. And LeBron and the Lakers, they shut down the NBA's hottest team this weekend. That means all is well here in L.A., right? Well, we're going to discuss that and so much more. You're watching NBA Today. Again, not really. <laughs> Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. NBA Today is presented by ESPN Bet, the official sports book of ESPN. <laughs> Janae, we had a controversial finish yes. between the Celtics <laughs> and the Pacers last night. Let's show you what happened. First, though, a scary moment for the Pacers in the second quarter. Tyrese Halliburton, watch him here. He drives. He slips. Don't watch. Yeah, don't watch. Slip Goes down in pain. Yeah. Look tough. up. Look up. Don't look down. Really tough look there. Now, our Adrian Wojnarowski, he reported that Tyrese Halliburton, he does have a grade one left hamstring strain. That's what an MRI revealed today. He's expected to be reevaluated in approximately two weeks, but there is relief that he avoided Huge. serious Major. Injury. Major relief. I cannot say the same, though, for the Boston Celtics. Watch Jalen Brown here. Okay, so this was called time and score. Foul on the floor. Ben Matherin saying, okay, let's review it. 
Watch it again. So they're going to challenge this call. The Pacers are. Here is James Williams on what they decided. After review, the backside defender, Buddy Hill, hits the ball. Therefore, the call on the floor has been overturned to a What? That's not right. Scalabrini, come on that call. He is right. This is an unexcusable call because they called on the foul on the floor. It'd be one thing if they'd called no foul on the floor and they didn't have, you know, irrefutable evidence. This was a foul on the floor, and Buddy Heald after this game said, Angels were on my side. <laughs> and there's evidence that Jalen Brown changed the trajectory of his shot because he got grazed while shooting it. That is not a natural shooting motion. If no one touched him, he would have shot it normally. Well, Jalen Brown, he is perplexed by this decision. Two seconds left. The Pacers. Of course there's going to be a foul on the... On the I was going to say, you got to let that one go, but I, I don't... You got to let that one go. Equalizer. Oh, man. Porzingis called for the foul. Matherin would make both free throws. The Pacers hang on to win 133-131. Here's Jalen Brown on the controversial call. I definitely think that one should be investigated. I asked him, did I get hit in the head? And he said no. And I asked him again, are you sure? And he said yes. That's what pissed me off, because I know I got hit in the head. And then you see the replay, it's pretty obvious that I got hit in the head. And then you look you look me in my eye and tell me that I didn't. I think that needs to be investigated. I can't wait until 4 o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> what happens at 4 o'clock tomorrow? The two-minute rule? I just can't wait until 4 o'clock. What, what are you bothered by? I'm not bothered, just Buddy Hill told me that he bothered me, so I can't wait for the, can't wait for the last two-minute report. Well, Mr. Missoula, we are 40 minutes away from getting that last two-minute report, but we do have this from LeBron James. See what I'm saying? Clearly, he got hit on the head. They reviewed the play. They reverse it. Man, what? Good game to have an ending like that. You see, I would be going bleep bleep out there when that happens. Big perk. We've got plenty of voices weighing in on a crucial call down the stretch here. But my question is, should the Celtics fans be more upset about the reversal of the call or the fact that they blew a double-digit lead at halftime? <laughs> Malika, <laughs> if they gonna be doing all this crying, Jalen Brown, Missoula, Brown, what the babies go do? You gotta leave the room for some babies to cry out here in the world as well. Listen, at the end of the day, I always harp on this. You cannot leave the game in the officials' hands, right? And this is what it came down to. It was still a tied game before Przingis went on the other end and fouled. So at the end of the day, the Celtics blowing that lead, especially with Indiana best player being out, were going out because of injury and Tyrese Halliburton. Like, that, that's a problem. Like, they shouldn't be complaining about that. Complain on why they actually gave up 133 points and they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. Like, complain about that. Complain about why they couldn't close or finish the game when they had the lead. That's what I hate about this situation. Like, these situations, when it comes down to officials or a game when it's shot or missed free throws, everybody want to come back to the last moment and forget what happened in the first, second, and third quarter. Yeah. I don't want to hear that crying. Not to mention, I mean, missing Tyrese Halliburton. There's just a whole lot going on there. Perk, thank you. All right. The result of the actual yeah. game aside, though, on the Pacers side of things, what's likely going to have the biggest impact, right, is the fact that Tyrese Halliburton is going to miss some time here. Now look at this. 
Tyrese has been a breakout star of the season, right? His absence means the Pacers offense is going to be without the league leader in assists, who is putting up numbers we haven't seen since John Stockton in the mid-90s. And really, there isn't a lot of margin for error here. This is what I mean. Take a look at the Eastern standings over here. There's essentially a five-way tie here for fourth place. What does that mean? That means only one team that has a 21-15 and 15 record would have home court advantage in a playoff series if the postseason got underway today, while two of them would have to fight their way through the play-in just to make the playoffs. That's kind of wild. Zach Lowe, out of all of those teams that we saw mumble-jumbled up in this mess, who's the team you have your eye on? Oh, they're lurking. They're lurking. We haven't been talking about them much, Uh but they're always lurking. The Miami Heat, 21 and 15. Hey, remember us? The team that was in the... They played Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Tyler Hero have appeared together in eight of those 36 games. Caleb Martin's been hurt. Everybody's been hurt. Kyle Lowry's been hurt here and there. And they're still 21 and 15. And remember all that stuff? They didn't get to trade for Damian Lillard. They still have it. Not that they're going to trade all of it because they're not trading a Jaime Hawkins Jr. period probably. Right. But they still got a lot of stuff to trade. They are not scared of anybody. Mm. You think the Miami Heat are scared of Boston in their big fat record? Philadelphia, Joel Embiid, Milwaukee, who they beat in the playoffs two out of three times in the last five years. They are not scared of anyone. And I expect them to be aggressive going into the trade deadline to try and get one more guy and have Philly, Milwaukee, and Boston quaking in their boots again. Oh, God, here comes Jimmy Butler and Bam and Eric Spolstra. They're lurking. Yeah, and when the Heat are lurking, that's all they need. They need a fighting chance. That's it. Not many people had them going all the way to the finals last year, and yet there they were. Zach Lowe, thank you so very much. One of my favorite trends of the show today, by the way, someone gets fired up and their feed goes out. Still to come on NBA Today, Draymond Green, he spoke about his most recent suspension yesterday. Hear the advice he got from the highest level as he prepares to return to the court. Plus, the Suns are one of the most disappointing teams in the NBA right now, and we know why. We'll show you the eye-popping stat that explains their rocket start. And the Lakers and Raptors, they play across the street tonight. Which team will be more active as we near the trade deadline? We have the answers to that as NBA Today rolls on. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. It is time now for Setting the Pick, brought to you by ESPN Bet, the official sports book of ESPN. The Raptors, they are in Los Angeles tonight facing the Lakers. Toronto's won 3 of 4 since trading for R.J. Barrett. The Lakers, they've been struggling, but they are 12 and 6 at home this season. Chanae, who you got in this one? Lakers. I tried to match your butt. But, <laughs> but you know, I don't Lakers. feel good about picking the Lakers based off of everything <laughs> lately. They had one win, and I'm like, do I jump the bandwagon get again? But for some reason, I this feel way. like this is a built Ryan, block. you have to sing your answer. You do not want 
You do not want you that. You can do it. Jakob Pertl, I believe, is going to be out for this yep. game. Uh, D'Angelo Russell had a nice actual half mm-hmm. in the second half of the game against the Clippers. I think he might be due for a little bit of a hot streak here, so I think the Lakers. Perk, you only get a pick if you sing it. Come on, you can do it. You sing often. He's not making a pick. I got the Lakers. Oh, there it is. There it is. Everyone is the Lakers. All right. So that is who we are singing and picking. Who are you singing and picking? Download the ESPN bet app to get started. New customers can receive $100 in bonus bets once they've placed their first sports oh, who bet that handsome with man? ESPN bet. Let's bring Zach Lowe into the conversation because the NBA trade deadline, it's hard to believe we're already there. It is one month away. We'll work on that. Uh, between the Lakers and the Raptors, Zach, you don't need to sing the answer to this one. Which are you watching more closely? L.A., what they do in the next 30 days, or Toronto? First of all, stop singing. Thank you. Second of all, Grumpy Zach. I think we're on a streak of everybody picking the Lakers and the Lakers losing. So just keep that they in mind. They just won the last game, Zachary. Third of all, <laughs> I'm looking at Pascal Siakam. You started it. I'm looking at Pascal Siakam more than the Lakers, just because we've talked to death about the Lakers. Pascal Siakam, first of all, the Raptors are playing well. They might just decide to keep him and chase to play him, but if they don't, some team has a chance to add a really good player that either reorients their total vision for like the medium term. Like, what if Indiana got him? What if Sacramento got him and re-signed him, which is going to be expensive? That changes the entire outlook of those teams. But what if somebody like Philadelphia got him? Philadelphia, a team that I think needs to be all in to try to win the title this season. That needs to add one more piece and acquire everything they need to get that in the James Harden deal. Maybe he's not the perfect fit next to Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, but you don't always get the perfect fit. So he could be a swing piece in the championship race and in just some team getting a lot more interesting and fun going forward. Perk looks absolutely thrilled. This is what you've been calling for, Kendrick. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm telling y'all, Pascal Siakam replacing Tobias Harris, and I don't know whatever else they got to throw in there, but he will be the perfect fit. He got championship experience, and we're talking about a guy that Nick Nurse will put in position, have shown, to be successful. You want the low post, he got he got work down there. You want getting out, he can get out and transition with, with, with ease, and he cuts really well without the basketball. Joel Embiid has shown us what? He's capable of making guys around him better. That's why this year he's averaging a career high six assists a game. You get a guy like Pascal Siakam on the Philadelphia 76ers, huh? They go give Boston a run for their money. We might just see them in the finals. Here's the thing. There's a lot of teams that are interested in calling the Raptors for Pascal Siakam. There's no teams interested in calling the Lakers for the players that they want to trade. And I don't know if they don't think they want to trade Austin (laughs) Reeves. Teams would be interested in that. That's the thing. The Lakers have to go through this homestand and figure out whether they're going to do something. But even if they want to, they don't have guys who have high value right now like the Raptors, you know, have had over the last few months. So... I don't even know if it's comparable. I think the Lakers would love to do things. They would love to be getting these calls, love to have these options. They just don't exist. What do the Lakers need to do? You were saying you were tempted, Shanae, to say, okay, maybe I'm going to get back in on L.A., particularly while they're at home in this stretch. What would convince you that, yes, the trajectory of their season is now going back up? Well, last week I called for it. They need to focus more on their offense and not just their defense. Two years ago, their defense carried them to a championship. But within the next two years, the rest of the NBA, rising tide lifts all boats. 
offenses have gotten better. Per point and perfect example are, you know, the Pacers. They went from about 20th or so in offense, and now they're leading the league in offense. That's just the nature of the game right now. So I know this style of winning with defense has really helped you individually be successful, but they have to focus on their shooters. Like you said, D'Lo, I called for him to get more meaningful minutes and let him play his best basketball. I think that might be on the horizon. Leaning towards those types of things I think will help the Lakers. But I I don't see them getting the player that we all hope and dream. Like, they've tried to do this by small pieces. Yeah. And I think big swings mean that you can strike out big as well. And so we're going to just have to see what this version of the Lakers looks like. Yeah. But I do think Pascal Siakam is a championship piece. Wherever he potentially lands, I think will likely be a contender, and that will really tip the balance potentially for who wins the title. If you're the Lakers, Zach, what calls are, are, are you looking to take right now? I'm talking all offense. Chanae nailed it. Their defense is fine. Their offense stinks. It wasn't even good last year, but the West wasn't as good last year, and they kind of had a, a good playoff matchup bracket set for them. They're 23rd in offense right now. They've been around there the whole season. They have no shooting, no offensive rebounding. They're just completely lifeless on offense. So they're going to come to a crossroads, like Brian talked about. And the crossroads is this. Are we okay with LeBron James at age 39 holding a player option being just flat out not good enough. Like, I don't care how good our defense is. If we're 23rd, we ain't getting through the Western Conference. We're not getting to the second round. We might not get to the playoffs, period. Are we okay with that? Or are we going to take a big, big swing that, as Chanae said, could be a whiff if it's the wrong guy with the wrong contract that handicaps your team for the next three or four years because it doesn't work out? Mm. That may be the stark painful, difficult choice they face, but that's life in the NBA, and that's where they are right now. I mean, they made one a couple years ago when they got Russell Westbrook, and it's no shade to Russ, but he just didn't he just didn't match with AD and Braun. I was still, I'm still standing on take a gamble with Zach Levine. And I know Zach Levine, right, we, we, we only seen him in spurts as far as him being consistent in Chicago right under uh, Billy Donovan. But Zach Levine is a is a bucket getter. Like, he gets buckets. And I just want to see him under the wing of a LeBron James and see if his level, which I know it will, of professionalism will go up. That's all he's lacking. Yeah. His athleticism is there, so I know he can slide those puppies on the defensive, on the defensive side of things. But so that's the question. At the end of the day, he is a walking bucket, and he – he is an upgrade right, but for the Los the, Angeles Lakers. But isn't that the question? How much defense are they willing to sacrifice with, with a player like Zach Levine? What's kind of happened in the wake of the in-season tournament. Nobody playing and, defense. Well, in the wake of the in-season tournament, they're playing LeBron and AD so many minutes yeah. that they've had to scale back their defensive intensity. So instead of playing the defense that they played last year and earlier this season, they're kind of having to save their defense a little bit, which puts more pressure on their offense, which has this cascading effect. And the other thing is, whenever you talk about Zach Levine trade, go to the trade machine, try to put it together. It's going to take three or four players to make it happen. Those types of trades are difficult. If I was the Lakers, I would call the Bulls and I would ask about Alex Caruso, mm. not necessarily Zach Levine, but Zach Levine is the one who's available. Caruso at this point is not. And I think the idea of Zach Levine sounds mm. really great. Perk, hold on one second. I think the idea of Zach Levine sounds really great, but what helped James Harden get to where he needed to go was that he was on the floor enough. Like being able to make a big swing for someone that could potentially help your offense, you want to see them on the floor. You want to see that they're available and they're healthy and that they're doing their thing. And I think that's the hardest thing to forecast that on something that that they don't essentially have all the answers for. Right. Perk, go ahead. 
I'm confused. <laughs> we just talked it's about Tuesday. how the Lakers need to upgrade their offense, right? And when <laughs> Wendy said that he'd take a swing at Alex Caruso, when you got a guy that has shown that he could average 25-plus, this game is about a bucket. Well, one guy just makes $40 million and one guy makes 10 team defensive, That's the difference. But, but 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 hear me out. Hey, stay hold on, but stay with me real quick, Wendy. Just because we have teams like the Celtics that are top, like one of the best teams defensively, or the you know the Nuggets or whatever the case may be, that don't mean that they're actually good defensive teams. The teams are about getting buckets, right? Like nobody in this league is playing. We just had a a show last week about it was what five teams scored over a hundred. 20 plus points or some, something like that where yeah. it was games where they were just scoring bucket after. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So let's not act like people are really out there just defending. Like, it's not yeah. about that. No I understand, more. It's about but a the way the Lakers are structured, they are structured to defend and have LeBron and AD carry him home. But right now, their defense isn't quite that good, and LeBron and AD haven't been able to give the same energy level that they gave earlier in the season because so much is being asked of them. What the Lakers really need is they need the guys that they signed last year to play better. And if that doesn't happen, and you're looking at Zach Levine, you're looking at making the exact same trade they made for Russell Westbrook, which was taking three or four players, signing a guy who, if he doesn't fit, they can't retrade, and potentially hollowing out the, the, the formula, just like it won the Lakers a title in 2020, the formula that got him to the conference finals, hollowing it out. It is not a simple transaction. It's not as simple as the Lakers saying, okay, we'll do it. I'm serious. Go to the trade machine. Try to see what it takes to put together a deal to bring the player. Have a tr- I don't well, have a machine. All our viewers we'll can go to the internet. I don't have a machine. That's, Bob, that's, Bob, that, that's Bobby Moss. Well, trust all my me. thing is we <laughs> asking what the Lakers need, and I'm telling you, in a tough Western Conference, you need a third star. And even a third star might not take you over the hump. Look at the Phoenix Suns and the way that they're struggling right now with their big three. You right. just need so much offensive firepower that it's ridiculous. Yeah, but it feels like the concern. They're never going to move with offense. Their entire structure is to be designed to defend and let AD and LeBron carry them home. Yep. That is how they got to the conference finals last year. That well, is how they you got lucky to- I ain't in that studio. <laughs> It's how they won it in 2020. They're not going to go from the 25th offense. The number, the the minutes that AD and LeBron are playing, and playing incredibly well, by the way. When you look at how much that they are playing, I don't know that we're going to get to that point, Zach. That they can just carry them home. Right now, that formula isn't working. Look, here's the reality with Zach Levine: the Lakers could get him. They have enough to get him in terms of salary and the one pick they traded. They could trade. I think Woj used the word barren to describe the market for Zach Levine last week. Yeah. Barren. That is a depressing word. That means that with what the Lakers have, they could get him. And in theory, they're the exact kind of team that Zach Levine needs. You are a third option. You finish plays. You don't start them. We have good defensive players all around you to mitigate your weaknesses. In Not theory, make the that trade, they won't. works. In reality, he's coming back from injury. His defense is a minus, and he's got $40 million plus due right. to him three years, each of them, after this one. If that trade is a whiff, if it doesn't make you good enough this year, it really cramps you going forward. That's why I said it is a stark 
painful choice between the present, which isn't good enough, and an imperfect trade, which is really, really laden with risk. It's a tough spot to be in, and their only way out of that spot in the next month is to start winning games. Well, for what it's worth, from everything that I have been told, sources within the Lakers, there is no movement for them to be looking to make a deal for Zach Levine. Of course, everything is fluid, as Stephen A. says. Things can change. But at this moment, Perk, there is no momentum toward that. But you mentioned offense. You mentioned the Suns. Will that be home so early? let's get into it because they finally got their big three together, Perk, on the court. But there's something we saw last night that should have Phoenix fans very concerned. Find out what that is after the break. Welcome back to NBA Today, presented by ESPN Bet. You said it's the James Harden Clippers? No, it's the, it's the T. Lou Clippers. <laughs> no, I know T. Lou very well. Don't take T. Lou long to get to make sure it get right. Taking five games, and they've been cooking since. I mean, if LeBron is saying it, that's my dog. Fifteen and three, that's my dog. <laughs> since that stretch that he was talking about, where the Clippers struggled first adding James Harden, it seems like Ty Lou and the Clippers. They have cracked the code here. Here they were in action last night against the Phoenix Suns. Kevin Durant stepped into a three. I mean, you can bank on that. Oh, absolutely. You know Devin Booker, you know KD are going to show up. But what you're not going to see are like, okay, turnovers by the Suns, a yeah. back fourth quarter by the Suns. But this is, I mean, a, a tale as old as time. KD knocking down big He had nuts. 20 points in the first half alone. So then, though, the Clippers Woo! starting to take a little bit of control. They've been on a different time. James Harden feeling confident. When he's knocking down that shot, that means they're really balling because he leads with passing and assists. The Clippers led by eight at half, and you're right, 15.7 assists in the first half, Janae, for James Harden. Every young Hooper's favorite Hooper right there, PG-13, 6'8", very talented. Kawhi Leonard, I mean, what? Hello, mid-range. Mitty, that's his classic. <laughs> Leonard had 17 points, I got you five steals. You totally did. And then James Harden. Icing on the cake. Icing on the cake. And then look, right look, here. Watch this, Malika. I mean, they're just open right now. That's like almost a triple team. That's playground basketball. They are balling. And then everybody eats, right? Harden gets out on the break. Daniel Tice <laughs> finds it. And then George for a wide open layup. The Clippers, they win big 138 111. So, for the season so far, the Suns, here's the deal. They've been outscored by 131 points in the fourth quarter. That is the worst mark in the NBA. And their offense, it's been struggling in the final frame as well. You can see ranking in the bottom or near there in several categories for that final quarter. Brian, you were at the game last night. The Suns, they have fallen to ninth in the West. That is one game above 500. How worried are you about Phoenix? You know, I don't, I don't have enough information to be worried about them. And I know that that sounds like a cop-out answer. They just haven't played together. And I think it was their sixth game with their big three. I think it was only the second time they've played with them in back-to-back -back games. And Frank Vogel was saying before the game that it's not even just the big three. He hasn't even had, like, Grayson Allen and Eric Gordon in a lot of consecutive situations. They just haven't played. And, you know, one of the things that's happening in these fourth quarters, these teams are throwing schemes at them. Durant was talking about this after the game. They were throwing almost like playoff-type schemes. Ty Lue had a whole defensive system to bring out where they were trapping and top-locking. And the Suns just haven't played enough together and haven't practiced enough to be able to handle it. 
And that's just the truth. I know it's upsetting. I know they have big expectations. We just can't judge them in January. I, I'm okay with that, but we're running out of time, Perk, to be able to sort of see in the regular season at least what this group is. I know it's only January, but that's starting to be the feeling. I, I, you know what? <laughs> I don't know what type of time Wendy on right now, but I'm not going for it, okay? Okay, Ty Lue could have threw the kitchen sink at them yesterday. They played the Clippers. Right now, the Clippers are a better basketball team than the Phoenix Suns. We get that. But they just lost to the Memphis Grizzlies a couple nights ago with no job Morant. The thing about this team is, one, the Phoenix Suns, they're soft. And one could look at the box score and say, oh, KD had 30. If you didn't watch the game, he was 11 for 17, I believe, from the field. You know, uh, he did his part. No, he didn't. Kawhi Leonard had 17 points last night. And if anybody watched that game, he had more of an impact than Kevin Durant did scoring 30. Kawhi Leonard doing everything. We talk about the 50-50 balls. We talk about Kawhi actually guarding KD when it matters the most getting turnovers, ripping them, making it hard on them, things to that nature. Right now, the Phoenix Suns lack leadership. Who is their leader? It hasn't been KD. It hasn't been Devin Booker. And Bradley Beal just trying to find his way. Who is their leader? Who is their emotional leader? They don't have one. They are really, really soft, and they just don't get it in the trenches and not the mud enough. And when you go back and look at all the championship teams, they yeah. have that dog mentality. Right. And the Phoenix Suns are not dogs. Absolutely. I don't want to cut this conversation short, but we're hearing that Draymond Green is just moments away from speaking to reporters for the first time since his indefinite suspension back in December. Hear from Draymond Green live. That's coming up next. NBA Today is presented by ESPN Bet, the official sports book of ESPN. So during the greater part of the past decade, the Warriors, they have been consistent contenders in the NBA. They made six of the last nine finals, but as things stand, it sort of gets harder and harder to keep yourself from wondering, is this the beginning of the end of an era in the Bay? So on Thursday, they blew an 18-point lead to the Nuggets at home thanks to Nikola Jokic and this incredible shot at the buzzer. This was the third time under Steve Kerr the Warriors blew an 18-point fourth-quarter lead. And then, fast forward to Sunday, after going 268 straight games with a made three, Steph Curry, he failed to score in double figures or knock down a triple for the second time in a month. And as a result, the Warriors fell to the Raptors. So it's been a tough stretch to the Dubs. You can see here they currently sit at 12th in the conference. That's below the Suns. That's below the Lakers. That is below the Utah Jazz. This is the lowest that they have been in the standings since 2019-2020 when they lost a league-worst 50 games. So all of that, right, that is the backdrop with which Draymond Green is coming back. And he spoke for the first time since his suspension on the Draymond Green show. Take a listen. As I said then and I'll say now, I was wrong. Um... I was wrong regardless of what I was trying to do, regardless of it, like none of that matters. Um, I was wrong. I accept my fault in that and I apologize. Not only from that, you know, Rudy Gobert situation. I was wrong, went way too far. I am a guy who plays on the edge. I am a guy who walks right up to that line and I have no problem with admitting I have walked over that line. I had a conversation with Adam Silver, commissioner of our league. I just told him, Adam, it's too much for me. Like, this is too much. 
It's all becoming too much for me. And I'm going to retire. And Adam said, ah, you're making a very rash decision. And I won't let you do that. Also on that day, Coach Kerr came to visit me after shoot-around. And we sat in the yard. He cried. I cried. And he just said to me, I want you to end this the right way. I want us to end this the right way. All right, there, there's plenty to unpack from Draymond's 52-minute podcast, but Perk, one moment that certainly grabbed our attention, Green saying he's contemplating retirement. What was your reaction to hearing him say that? Well, when I was playing in the, in the middle of my, my prime, I actually thought about retiring for a minute, too, and it was literally 60 seconds, and then I came back to reality of how much money I had left and how much I love the game of basketball. And listen, I don't, I don't, I'm not here to call Draymond Green a liar, but you do have that emotional roller coaster, especially when you're digging, when you're dealing with bigger problems outside of basketball. When you're dealing with personal problems, we have to respect that. We don't know what was going through his head, and sometimes it's bigger than basketball when you're going through something, and it could make you feel that type of way at the moment. Right. It feels like sort of whatever happened, though, during Draymond's time away, it doesn't change, and I don't mean that to sound callous, the questions that he's walking back into. The Warriors are 12th. They are 12th in a tough Western Conference right now. Chris Paul, he's out. He's gone. Four to six weeks, fractured hand. So, Zach, can Draymond's return save the Warriors' season this year? Well, it could save their defense, which has been very bad without Draymond, maybe the greatest defensive player of his era. But look, you talked on the podcast, on the Draymond Green podcast, you talked about Steve Kerr saying, we deserve the chance to go out in a good way or the right way or whatever terminology he used. Yeah. They're running out of time to do that. We all want to see that. Everyone who's loved watching this team and those three foundational dudes, Steph, Clay, and Draymond, play together and make magic for 10 years we all want to see that, but they're running out of time. They're 12th. And think, ask yourself this, who's the starting lineup of the Golden State Warriors right now as we approach the halfway point of the season? I only know two names for sure, Steph and Clay. Jonathan Kaminga, he hasn't been shy about wanting to start and wanting more playing time. And we've had this whole debate now about how, and the Warriors have, about how Kaminga and Wiggins, uh, they don't fit together, the numbers are bad. Do Kaminga and Draymond, two non-shooters, do they fit together? Do they fit with a center who's also going to be a non-shooter? How do you actually work that out? Can you bring Jonathan Kaminga off the bench after starting him? Can you bring Draymond off the bench? Should you start Draymond at center? They have so many questions, starting with the very fundamental thing of who plays with who and when, and they do not have time to get the answers wrong. Well, I know two things are true. One, Zach, you're right, but Draymond is the key to the Warriors getting back on track just by what we witnessed with him gone offensively and defensively. And as someone who has known Draymond, he actually talked about retirement before this year. I talked to him personally about it, and this is something that's real. He's not playing the victim card. He had time with his family. He's talking about it, but I'm glad he's going to hopefully take the steps back to be back on the court because they need him now more than ever. Here's where we stand right now. Kendra Andrews says that Draymond was clear to be a full participant in practice. He didn't step to the mic during our window, so we will have full coverage coming up tomorrow.